I've chosen for our scripture reading this morning the opening verses to the Old Testament book of Nahum, which I realize may be a little hard to find. And so if you go to the book of Matthew, which opens the New Testament, and go backwards, that'll be your easiest path to finding Nahum. So go backwards from Matthew through Malachi and Zechariah. Keep on going past Haggai and Zephaniah. And you will find your way to Habakkuk, and prior to that, Nahum. If you're using the Pew Bibles, it'll be all the easier if I tell you it's on page 930. Nahum chapter 1, starting in verse 1. I'll read the whole chapter, but it's only 15 verses. This is the Word of God. An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him. The world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. What do you plot against the Lord? He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time. For they are like entangled thorns, like drunkards as they drink. They are consumed like stubble, fully dried. From you came one who plotted evil against the Lord, a worthless counselor. Thus says the Lord, though they are at full strength and many, they will be cut down and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more, and now I will break his yoke from off you and will burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given commandment about you. No more shall your name be perpetuated. From the house of your gods I will cut off the carved image and the metal image. I will make your grave, for you are vile. Behold, upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Keep your feasts, O Judah. Fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. This is the word of our God. Let's turn to him in prayer. Lord, show us today what it is that you intend for us from this, your holy word. Grant us, O oh Lord, to see the great contrast between those who are in Christ and those who are still your enemies. 
Grant, O Lord, that we would tremble at your word, and yet in fleeing to you, we pray that we would have the comfort that your word gives, even from this prophet whose name means comfort. We pray this all in Christ our Savior's name. Amen. When Hurricane Andrew hit Florida in 1992, one of my seminary professors, Steve Brown, was living in Key Biscayne, Florida, pastoring a church just south of Miami. He and his wife were safely at rest in their well-built house when Hurricane Andrew arrived. But as the winds and rain grew more fierce, Steve and his wife grew more concerned. And so eventually the hurricane got so bad that he and his wife decided to seek refuge by huddling together in their bathroom. They stayed there for quite some time, praying and singing together while the house shook from the storm outside. When it sounded like the hurricane had finally spent its full fury, Steve opened the bathroom door to look outside, literally. The hurricane had torn off much of their roof, and more than one of their walls had collapsed, and yet there they were in the center of all of the rubble, like Noah's Ark resting on the mountain high above the destructive flood, their bathroom untouched by the storm, and he and his wife emerging unharmed from what had passed by. In these opening verses of the book of Nahum, we see a picture of a terrible storm of God's unspeakable power, his holy vengeance, and his righteous jealousy. And this storm of God would come upon Nineveh, the capital city of the ancient mighty Assyrian Empire. Verse 6 that I read to you asks these questions. Who can stand before God's indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? The answer, of course, is no one apart from those who have a shelter, a refuge appointed by God. Ultimately, as we'll remind ourselves today, that refuge is found only in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Because Jesus stood in our place and bore the wrath of God upon himself at the cross, we can stand before God. The message of the book of Nahum is not just for a a nation long since forgotten, but the message of the book of Nahum is still for all this world today. That all who try to stand on their own as enemies of God will surely be consumed. Today we're going to look at the great contrast more closely between how God is disposed toward those who take refuge in Him and those who are His enemies. Did you notice as I read this scripture text the sudden shift between the description of Yahweh in verses 2 through 6 and the tenderness of Yahweh in verse 7? It was almost as if in this word God understood that these words were themselves like a beating storm. And after verses 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, talking about the, the power of God, the vengeance of God, the wrath of God, it's as if he said, let's take a moment and remind ourselves who the people of God are and what God is like toward us. And in verse 7, we read, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. 
He knows those who take refuge in Him. It's almost as if the wind and the rain and the storm has paused for just a second. And, and those who are huddling uh, underneath this storm of God's wrath look up for just a minute and then verse 8 begins again. But with an overwhelming flood, He will make a complete end of the adversaries. It's that contrast that I want you to see today. The contrast between those who take refuge in Him and those who are His enemies. So let us consider first today that you can be sure that distress and trouble are coming. Our text, of course, is speaking to Nineveh, and it had its application first to that nation, but this prophecy of Nahum was directed for the people of God in the days of Israel. So it was a prophecy against another nation, and yet it was to the people of God. And it comes to us in that same way today to tell us again our first point. You can be sure that distress and trouble are coming. Do you think that is true, people of God? What do you think your chances are of escaping trouble in life? Big trouble. Some of us have done pretty well in escaping major distresses in our lives, and we're sort of hoping that that streak will continue. But we wonder, will there be distress and trouble in our lives and the answer is, well, in order to know what the future holds, you can be sure only of the things that God has said in his word. God told Nineveh in our text that they were going to be destroyed. We won't read it today, but it's such a short book. It's only three chapters. It makes for great Sunday afternoon reading. Chapters 2 and 3 of this little prophet, uh, prophetic book of Nahum foretell the coming destruction in more detail of Nineveh. Some years prior to Nahum, Jonah announced a coming destruction to, to Nineveh. And do you remember what happened? They repented and God relented. But now things have changed. Again, this nation of Assyria have uh, turned back to their ways contrary to God. They do not believe this prophecy of Nahum. They had a nation at the height of its power. They seemed to be an unstoppable war machine. I suspect that even some of God's covenant people had a kind of doubt, finding it hard to believe that Nineveh could ever be overthrown. But it happened. Not long after this book was written, Nineveh was destroyed in 612 B.C. If one ancient historian is to be believed... Several years prior to this destruction of Nineveh, there were some attacks against the nation that were repelled by their king. This ruler grew boastful, and he ordered a feast to be celebrated. He sent large amounts of wine to his army, and the soldiers became quite drunk. And the next attack of the enemy came more swiftly than anticipated, and his army was overrun, and they had to retreat. It's that kind of pride that the nation of Assyria had, as represented by their capital city, Nineveh, against whom Nahum speaks this prophecy. They were proud. They were confident. They were sure that they had nothing to be concerned about. And yet, God had said that distress and trouble were coming upon Nineveh. And indeed, it happened just as God said. You and I can be sure of everything that God has said. Just as God said trouble and distress would come upon Nineveh, God has also said that trouble and distress will come upon all mankind. All humans everywhere 
will also face a distress and a trouble. Now, it's true that in this life, it is on a much smaller scale than the great final judgment that is to come. We may experience it in our lives in some lesser ways. It might come in the form of sickness. It might come in the form of death of somebody close to us. It might come in the form of financial hardship or, or just the run-of-the-mill distresses of everyday life. You know, when you get a headache here or your car breaks down there or whatever it is that gives us some amount of trouble or distress in this life. And you might say, wait a minute, I'm a Christian. And yet, you and I know, both from experience and from God's Word, that we live in a world that is still under the curse of God. The creation around us and our own bodies have not been fully delivered yet. The forces of evil who make war against God and against us have not been finally destroyed yet. The battle is ongoing, and it's not against mere flesh and blood. The Lord of the harvest has said he wants the wheat and the tares to grow up together. And that's the world in which we live. And God in his wisdom has said he intends to make you holy, just like his beloved son Jesus. And one of the ways that God makes you holy is to allow you to face trials of various kinds. Brothers and sisters, we all will face some forms of distress and trouble in this life to some extent. It may be worse in some places in our world than others. At certain points in history, it may get worse than at other points in history. Whatever happens, we are called to let the world know that we can bear the distresses and troubles of this life because we have a refuge in the Lord. And all of these smaller distresses and troubles, however the great they are to our own experience, will still pale in comparison to the day of distress that comes ultimately upon the whole world. The way we bear with these things in our lives today gives a testimony to the watching world of a distress and trouble that's coming, not just upon Nineveh, but indeed upon all the inhabitants of the earth. And of course, I'm referring to the final judgment. The Bible says that both believers and unbelievers will stand before the Lord for judgment. And that may seem surprising to you. You know that having believed in Christ, we have passed out of condemnation. We are no longer in fear of God's judgment. And yet the Bible makes clear that even believers will stand on that great judgment day. Romans 14 says, For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. So the point of all this is to say that we will all face the greatest day of distress and trouble ever known to mankind. Both Christian and non-Christian will face this day. The question is whether we plan to stand on our own before a holy God or whether we will stand as believers in Christ with our names written in the Lamb's book of life. The only difference between Christians and non-Christians is that as Christians, because God has said it in his word, we believe that distress and trouble are coming, whether it's in this life in small little tastes along the way or in that final distress that will surely come. We believe God's word and we look to him for refuge. Think about Steve Brown from the opening illustration. He had to ride out the hurricane. He wasn't exempt from the storm because he was a Christian. 
The hurricane came through Key Biscayne, and it's not as if only the houses of unbelievers got knocked down. Even as a Christian, he faced that distress and that trouble in this life. And so Christians are someone, or are those who look to the Lord for refuge. We don't pretend as if we're immune to the distresses and troubles of this life, and we acknowledge the fact that God has said there is a coming judgment in which every one of us will stand before him, the greatest day of distress and trouble ever known, greater than what Nineveh found here in our book of Nahum. And that brings us to our second point, to just remind us and make explicit again that we need a refuge from the coming storm. We need some place to hide, some place that can keep us safe. You may have agreed with the first point that you say, sure, distress and trouble are coming. But you might say, well, I've been through some tough times and I've survived. I'm ready for it. I feel prepared. I mean, maybe you say, I've got good insurance and a decent amount of savings. I'm ready for the trouble. I'm strong enough. How foolish we are. These verses in Nahum remind us of how God's judgment is like an overwhelming flood. You may say, I feel safe in my house, so to speak. And Jesus has asked us to consider, uh, are we founded upon a rock or are we founded upon sand? God says to Nineveh later in this book, again, we're not reading it this morning, but uh, in chapter 2, verse 13, he says these words, Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts. And he repeats it again in chapter 3. He says to Nineveh, Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts. What can you do if God is against you? Can you really stand against him? How in the world can you manage to do so if even the mighty Assyrian Empire was brought low by God's judgment? In the summer of 1997, Martita and I were out of the country for the summer and we spent some time on the border between France and Italy in the uh, Alps. One day we left our rented car and we're walking among the ruins of an old castle named Fenestrelle. We're just traveling along walking and a storm suddenly came upon us and it began to rain and to blow quite fiercely. We ran and found a place to hide under an old stone bridge. We just sat there, dry and safe, while the storm pounded around us and then quickly passed. We emerged from this impromptu place of refuge, and we walked unharmed back to our car, uh, back to our car uh, grateful that there was such a place to hide. In our text... In verse 8 again, chapter 1, verse 8, God says, But with an overwhelming flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries. And it goes on. The refuge we need is something far more sturdy and strong than just a little stone bridge. It's a refuge that can come only from God himself. I was uh, raised on a small island along the ocean in Wildwood, New Jersey, and all the old-timers would talk about the big storm of 1962. That was eight years before I was born. But they would talk about it because it was such a memorable event in everyone's minds. The great storm of 1962 was such that uh, the, the winds blew and the rains fell and the oceans raged and the waters rose. 
And the tiny little island that I grew up on had almost a near total destruction. Businesses and houses, cars, everything entirely was laid as if a bomb had gone off on the island. Everyone talked about it. It was something that was remembered decades later, the great storm of 1962. And that was nothing compared to this flood that God promised to Nineveh, which in turn is nothing compared to the great flood of the final day of judgment that is coming. Unbelievers, of course, discount all of this. Oh, bloody, oh, blada, life goes on, right? Well, that's exactly what is addressed by the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3. Turn there if you wish, or just listen as I read. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 7. I'll actually back up to verse 4. These scoffers that Peter talks about in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, these scoffers will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. There is a coming distress and trouble, and the book of Nahum points us toward that great day. Those who stand on their own will be completely destroyed. Again, back to our text in chapter 1, verse 8. He says he will make a complete end of the adversaries. He will pursue his enemies into darkness. Later in verse 12, he puts it this way. Though they are at full strength and many, they will be cut down and pass away. Again and again, God makes clear to Assyria, to Nineveh, that his destruction is coming. In verse 9, he says it this way. He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise up a second time. Why is this? It's because the destruction is so complete. There's no need for God to do a mop-up operation later. The destruction is once and for all complete and final. Nineveh, as I said, was destroyed in 612 B.C. by the Babylonians and the Medes. The destruction was so complete that less than 300 years later, the Greek armies were retreating over the territory that used to be Nineveh. And apparently the historians that record the retreat of the Greeks at that time never even mentioned Nineveh because it seems that no one even remembered the place. So thorough was its destruction. At the end of verse 8, again in our text, he'll pursue his enemies into darkness. Jesus and the New Testament, of course, describe hell as a place of utter, outer darkness, a place of everlasting destruction. The judgment of Nineveh here in this book of Nahum is a foreshadowing of the final judgment that God will bring upon the world. So what can we do? We can seek a refuge. In Revelation chapter 6, we read of the enemies of God facing the judgment of God. And what they do is they call upon the rocks and the mountains to fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne 
and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Picking up those words again from our text in Nahum chapter 1. Who can stand on the day of God's wrath? The answer is only those who have found a refuge in His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's our final point this morning. Again, just to make explicit what's already been said. If you trust in Jesus Christ and take refuge in Him, then He will take care of you. Back to our text in Nahum chapter 1. Again, that verse that interrupts this uh, flood of uh, judgment oracles against Nineveh. Verse 7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in Him. Those who are trusting in the Lord will find that they have nothing to fear from the distress and trouble that is prophesied against our enemies. Psalm 23, verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Psalm chapter 1, verse 6, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You see the great contrast that we're seeking to highlight today from this prophetic book. The contrast between those who are finding refuge in God Himself through His Son and those who are His enemies. Are you trusting in the refuge that God has provided? There's no other refuge than the one that God has appointed in His Son. Jesus Christ is the Good Shepherd. He laid down His life for the sheep. Those who trust in Him have no fear of the great judgment day. But apart from Christ, who can stand? Jesus is described in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians 1.10, as the one who delivers us from the wrath to come. Romans 5.8 puts it this way, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. It's easy for us, even as Christians, to forget the reality of the coming judgment day. This text from Nahum is our reminder of a historical event in time that so poignantly foreshadows the great day of God's wrath that is coming. Let me illustrate in conclusion, some of you have dogs or have had one in the past, and some of you have had dogs that are very protective. Not all dogs are, I realize that. But if you've had a protective dog, have you ever noticed how much your dog's disposition changes when a stranger tries to approach your house or comes near to you or to your children, perhaps? The sweetest little puppy will begin to growl and bark, and the change may even frighten you when you wonder, where did this fierceness come from in my sweet little puppy? Well, dogs can be like that by instinct. But our text today reminds us that God is like that because of His very character and nature. Verses 2 to 6 of our chapter, Nahum chapter 1, tells us that God is a God of righteous jealousy, holy vengeance, and unspeakable power. He will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And yet... 
Just as children have nothing to fear from a dog who's pursuing an unknown intruder, so too you have nothing to fear if you have found refuge in Jesus Christ. You belong to Him, and He is good, verse 7. He knows and cares for you who trust in Him. I mentioned earlier that Jonah brought a message to Nineveh sometime earlier than Nahum. And I'd like to close by reading from chapter 3 of the book of Jonah. And I would like you all to turn there. It literally might be two or three pages earlier in your Bibles than our text this morning. Just go backwards a few pages to Jonah chapter 3. Starting in verse 1, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. The people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast Herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Then God saw what they did how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the message of the entire Bible. Because of our sin and rebellion against the king of the universe, he has declared, he has proclaimed a day of judgment, a day of reckoning. Those who believe his word and turn to him will find refuge. The Lord is good. A refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in Him. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You have not surprised us by judgment, though it be deserved, but instead You have made known what is coming and you have in that way sent out word to all the world that whoever would turn from their sin and trust in your Son will be spared. And we thank you for this good news, this gospel proclamation that has come to all the ends of the earth and to us. And as we have considered today, O Lord, your great power and your righteous wrath, we pray that we might tremble before you, but not as those who are under fear of everlasting judgment. But instead, Lord, help us to recognize who you are.
and all the more in gratitude to rest in you through your Son, our Savior. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.